0: The people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza, on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce, it was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, Not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history.
1: Good morning, sake on air listeners. It's like... There's no guarantee it'll be morning for those of you that are listening at this time and to be entirely honest we're not exactly sure what form this particular recording is going to take in the end but here we are back once again for another episode of sake on air Uh, my name is justin potts and i am joined today by
0: sebastian lemoine
1: sebastian we are not at the japan sake and shochu information center today
0: indeed i mean we Took a plane and a train and a bus and a ferry to get here,
1: and rented a car, and it was yeah over over many miles and uh, a bit of a journey. We're we're here finally, um, and we are actually on the island of Shodoshima.
0: Yeah, I mean. And we're not the only ones, we, no, we're, we, we, yeah. we, we have quite a few people around us they're, yeah. and they're all drawn by the same thing, the same person, actually. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, it's, um, so the reason we're actually here is if you were following maybe the Instagram, you might have seen a story up there. And uh, I actually posted some photos of this when I was here last year, which uh, inspired me to absolutely come back again this year and wanted to bring a little bit of sake on air along with me. Uh, was um, what they're calling the Kioke summit uh, kioke referring to those large uh, wooden barrels uh, which are used to uh, ferment and or store not only sake uh, but uh, soy sauce miso vinegar in some cases and as we've seen from this experience so far a number of other things as well
0: actually technical question uh, justin coming yeah. from a, a frenchman um <laughs> you used wooden barrels yeah oh, i don't like that word what about tank i mean
1: tank is probably and more accurate okay. is more accurate terminology uh, some people use that i don't like the sound of that really it makes it, it i don't know it seems like to me it sounds like it's cheapening the mm. the product a little yeah. bit um but um wooden tank would probably be a much more uh, accurate
0: so it's sort of a tall thing um just with no lid and uh i open fermentation.
1: Exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, you can say if you look on the Instagram, we'll be um, putting up um, pictures and photos and things for um, folks to reference. But if you were to do a quick internet search of Kiyoke, Kioke, K I O K E, and you would probably get, especially if you were to put that search together with Shodoshima, uh, Shodoshima Island, uh, you would probably get a lot of pictures of these uh, tanks, as well as pictures of an individual by the name of Yamamoto-san, uh, who is a soy sauce shoyu uh, maker uh, down here on the island, who is basically, not single-handedly, but um, with the support of a very passionate group of people, uh, individuals, um, over the, about the last decade, has created a really inspiring and incredible Movement surrounding the restoration of
0: kyoke. Yeah, there was a fear that the culture would disappear um, altogether, and uh, well, the historical background for that yeah. is in the in the sake industry, as you may have heard on our programs before. sometime um, sometime around late Meiji early Taisho period, the government imposed on sake brewers to uh, get rid of their wooden fermentation tanks and uh, buy hollow tanks made of metal, essentially. And that movement had not happened in Soy Sauce until the post-war period. Uh, and it's the GSQ, the um, American administration, uh, bef- after the war, just looking at the state of the Japanese uh, market and, and food supply, uh, which imposed on uh, shoyu makers to get rid of their wooden tanks and start uh, producing shoyu in in like larger plants to, to just increase production and, and be able to feed the population. Because shoyu is such an important, shoyu is such an important ingredient in Japanese cuisine.
1: uh, So as you mentioned, it was something that is truly actually in danger. Um, We've we touched upon the topic of, you know, the number of sake breweries decreasing, decreasing and um, production consumption, you know, on the decline. But sake production is not going to disappear, whereas the know how and the skill to be able to craft these and then utilize them was was and is still very much actually in danger of disappearing the art the know-how to be able to do that and it's not necessarily that kyoki are necessarily better than the other alternative methods but it is something that is deeply rooted in japan's fermentation and fermented food culture as well as its craftsmanship and its relationship um, to the land and to the forests and to um, nature in a way that helps develop and evolve um, its unique fermentation food culture in a way that is really really special and unique and so to lose that would be a, a very very sad thing mm-hmm. and we are very very much in danger of that and it's still um still very much an issue but they are from about 10 years ago um you know and his band of um i don't even know what it's called There, everybody is wow. Off the rails yeah. here. It's it's, it's incredible.
0: <laughs> they they come from all sorts of horizons. I mean, attracted by but by, by the theme, saving the culture. Yeah,
1: and so to kind of explain a little bit, um, sort of about what they're doing here is so, um, at this point right now, so there's actually only one official, for lack of a better word, maker of these kyoke. Um, at, at least at any large size or scale, mm. um, that we're sort of talking about those tanks that are used for. Um, for either fermentation or for um, storage, um, that is in Osaka, and the gentleman who is in charge of that, who is operating that, um, is arguably past an age where he can reasonably mm-hmm. keep doing it with the level of you know frequency and productivity that he has for generations, or sorry, for decades. Um, and so he's been basically for years saying, "Next year's the last year. Next year's the last year. Next year's the last year." But every time somebody comes, went to the, went to him with a new question or proposition. Hey, I've got this. Is there anything I can do with this barrel? I, you know, we found this old barrel in the in the brewery in the CUDA, We'd like to use this. Can you do anything for me? Um, so it's not just a matter of making them from scratch. It's also a matter of repairing or tending to them, or making them um, usable or viable again. The ones that are already Um, that are still floating around out there somewhere that have just Mm -hmm. gone unused. Um, And as the inquiries just kind of kept coming in, he basically just, while threatening his retirement, has just never retired, but it's it's kind of a ticking time bomb in a way. Um, And the reason that they're essentially considered more or less the only one, is they're the only ones that are able to produce um, Kyoke at the size and scale um, that we're talking about, as well as they are very much closely connected and have been continuously working together with those involved with tending to the mountains and the lumber and the lumber industry in Yoshino Mm -hmm. and Nara, um, which is sort of, which has essentially been the hub where that um, as far as the lumber and the type of uh, sugi, the type of Mm -hmm. cedar trees that are most um, that are considered to be most ideal for crafting these. Um, And so to have that direct through line and that connection, as well as have all of the understanding and resources, not just how to physically construct an item, how to piece it together, but you know, when, what, what trees do we use? At what time do we you know, cut them? How long do we have to dry them? What do we have to do to tend to them prior to working on them? Um, and then all of the little pieces along the way to actually construct and see a project through from start to finish mm-hmm. at a large scale.
0: I mean, compared to most uh, barrels used in the wine or whiskey industry, I mean, the life expectancy of of a, a Kiyoke is 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 pretty long, and that's obviously what's striking when you when you're entering Yamamoto-san's kura um, called Yamaroku, in Seto Is you see seventy-four kyokai, seventy-four tanks and next to each other and some of them have been in use for more than 150 years i mean 150 years and I mean, and it they, shows and it shows i mean how do how can we describe them i mean there is the, there are these Concretions sort of forming outside the tanks. I mean, as you know, I mean there is, there is really a lot of salt in in soy sauce, so I suspect salt is is a um, is responsible for for the the, the structural texture of these concretions. But they they look like 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 a beard. Don't 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 yeah. do you think so? Yeah,
1: huh? They almost look like living entities in a yeah. way. It's 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 fascinating,
0: like the the trees in uh, Lord of the Rings in yeah. the in the what's the name of the forest? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. Absolutely, it's it, it's really brilliant, and it's but it's something very different from what you see in a sake brewery as well. Mm. So when you talk about you know the lifespan of these things being you know hundred, hundred and fifty, in some cases two hundred plus years, um, when they are actually used and utilized, they are not used solely for sake production. They tend to historically, traditionally, um, be passed down over time um, mm-hmm. because the time in which they are ideal for or become less ideal for. Um, producing different products um, changes as these things age, um, and so traditionally, these the new kyoke um, are considered were considered to be ideal for making sake because they don't have quite as many years on them, um, and the nature of the wood um, and the time and how they how it will how it evolves over time and how it imparts different characteristics onto the sake over time it was largely considered to be after you know 20 30 years or so somewhat less than ideal um so at that point they would be passed along to soy sauce makers Mm -hmm. who would then um, employ those and use those for another you know say 50 years or 80 years or whatnot um I'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but a lot of the ones that you see, the highest concentration of kyoké that are still in active use are at soy sauce makers um, nowadays. But traditionally, it would go from sake to soy sauce. And a lot of people will tell you is from there then to miso. Um, but actually talking to some folks yesterday, it sounds like vinegar yeah. is actually traditionally has been slotted in there between soy sauce and miso uh, traditionally.
0: Yeah, but there's only... One left, possibly doing also um, in 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 Kiyoke. I mean, I, I was lucky. I visited the the this firm uh, about two years ago. They are in Katsura, southern Wakayama, and the fermentation room is is quite amazing because you have the, all these kioke lined up, and they all have names of uh, sumo champions. Uh, they're they're persons. I mean, for for the owner, they are they are yeah living things. Um, and then it goes to miso, and and actually in in Tokyo around Tokyo, uh, there is still one uh, miso. Actually, no, he's a shoyu maker uh, who is using a uh, kiyoke from uh, from Meiji times. Um, so very very old one.
1: Yeah, there are a few. There are a few in the area. There is actually a, a relatively. There's, there's a significant amount flowing around the greater Kanto area, around Chiba, Saitama, in the Tokyo area. So, those, there are places where you can actually go and still see those up there. But by far and away, the highest concentration of them happens to be here on Shoto Island, which there's um, historical reasons for. Because, I mean, this is a very small island, it's not a place that is attuned to agricultural practices, whether it be barley, soybean, rice growing. Um, so it's not a place where these things were necessarily made from scratch, from start to finish, but um, historically, as a hub um, for transport of goods, this place is incredibly ideal, where it mm-hmm. sits right between Kansai, between Osaka, Kobe, and between um, Shikoku, the island of Shikoku.
0: I mean, whereas Shikoku is has, a, has the right climate and, and soil, actually, to grow wheat and, and barley, uh, most of the soybean come from or used to come from uh, Fukuoka, from Kyushu. Yes, that's right. That's right. And same thing, they're using this uh, Setonuchi, uh, this setonaikai to uh, transport the, the daizu, the, the soybean, from Kyushu to the main consumption centers in Japan.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so because of that, you have this high concentration of um, soy sauce producers that are still here. And while... It is a soy sauce producer, um, Yamamoto-san at Yamaroku Soy Sauce, Yamaroku Shoyu, um, who is spearheading this movement um, together with some other local um, woodcraftsmen and other um, producers working in fermented foods and food products or beverages in in some form or another. Um, This is the first year um, in 10 years where they've held an official Summit, Summit, what they're calling mm. They're calling this the kyoke Summit. Um, and what it originally started was just a very small number of individuals um, involved in related or peripheral industries that would gather once a year in order to learn how to make these um, large kyoke. Mm. Um, and so Yamamoto-san, as well as just a small handful of other uh, individuals, would go and learn in, um, in Osaka and, and, and train and get the basic skills. And then working with other local craftsmen here on the island, they started teaching themselves um, how to not just to build them, but also build them in some ways better, smarter. They're trying to also improve on the nature of the quality of what it is they're working with, as well as understand it better, as opposed to just going through the motions. Because nowadays, a lot of places that are wanting to make these things themselves, they're wanting to do them, not they're wanting to use them from local wood and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. they're having to not just learn how to make them, but also learn how to adapt and make them based on the needs of these different producers because they're having to fulfill the needs of not just soy sauce makers but you know people want them for sake or for uh, a number of different um, purposes. And so about 10 years ago, which is the small team, they started very proactively learning how to do this and then once a year uh, in January sort of everybody sort of congregating here at uh Yamaroku soy sauce and it's just a at first it's a small gathering of, you know, a dozen or a couple dozen people who would come and spend a week, two weeks, learning, training with one another, and people sort of come in and out and visit. And sort of word of this movement um, sort of gradually grew and grew and grew over the years. And uh, when I was here um, last year, it was just amazing to me the way that the influx of people from all different facets of the industry and peripheral-related industries, not just people who are actually making physical products, but Um, chefs and media and food writers and all these different folks.
0: People involved in healthcare.
1: Healthcare, yep, absolutely. Um, From all different sorts of fields that are looking at the nature of not just the woodworking, but the fermentation, the health, the science, um, and what this sort of movement means um, for the area as well as for Japan's um, fermented Mm -hmm. food um, and fermented food culture.
0: This year sure there is a, a French anthropologist as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, there are a couple of researchers that are visiting from uh, from Canada, from France, um, from Italy, from a, a number of different places. And so um, up until this year, it has been sort of an, on an invite or as a you know sort of introduction basis of people who are in the industry in some capacity. And this is the first time where um, this work that goes, that takes place over the period of, the part that most people see is over a period of about a week, but usually with prep and everything, usually there's a, a, a group of people that's here for 10 days, two weeks or more. Um, but in this, you know, say week period, they opened up two days as a summit and made it open to the public to people who wanted to come out and visit and take part. And it's essentially two days where you have people from all these different industries and they're coming and they're doing talk sessions and discussions and things in one part of the CUDA. And then in the other part of the kura, you have the craftsmen or the people who have this skill set, or the ones who have been long working to obtain this skill set. Working together alongside um, people from different industries who just want to come and see and take part and get their hands on, and they just they help and they teach and they instruct, and it's the most warm, welcoming, positive, um, engaging activity that i may have ever ever taken part in
0: yeah i mean uh, i agree with that it's it's,
1: it's absolutely it's absolutely stunning it's just been and yet yesterday it was just amazing to see how many people gathered um and just just a, just a fantastic energy um and so much excitement uh, and
0: and not only they're here but they, they really connect with yeah. um with each other and yeah. and with the reason why they're here for
1: yeah. and it's and it's just kind of through this very organic driven um, proactive you know community of people that have been working to um, facilitate this um, that has just kind of grown and grown and expanded over the years to the point where now you're getting over the, this period of a couple of days, there will probably be several hundred people here um, mm-hmm. that um, that are here learning and and, and connecting and, and sharing this information in some capacity. And so,
0: shall we talk about a little bit about some of the uh companies yeah which we saw here and why they're here for
1: yeah absolutely yeah. um shall we start well there was only so there was only we'll do shochu. there was only one shochu because um, yeah. they were here but uh um Satoma Shuzo
0: mm-hmm.
1: um which is one of the largest the shochu makers yeah in, um,
0: in well in the world actually
1: yeah absolutely absolutely I mean they are they are significant in their mm-hmm. in their influence and production um and they make fantastic product Mm -hmm. um but they had a a very very young gentleman here who is here um learning the craft and he has been for a while and he's very much dedicated himself Mm -hmm. to learning how to do this not so much because they use it for fermentation or preservation but they have a wooden still
0: Mm. beautiful object it's
1: absolutely gorgeous um and it's massive it's significant and they need to be able to know how to not necessarily just construct it but maintenance mm-hmm. um they're still as well and so he has that was sort of his mission is to be here and to learn how to how to do that and to get that skill and then be able to bring that back to um the brewery to the distillery and be able to share that um and so it was really interesting to hear um from him as well cause he, he was sort of at least yesterday he was the sole representative from the from the shochu mm-hmm. community
0: mm-hmm. yeah then there's sake
1: on the sake side yeah, yeah.
0: um well, one of the leaders um, well, that I see yep. in the in the industry at the moment with the and it's in their use of Kiyoke is Aramasa from, yep. from Akita. Yeah. And we had two representatives yesterday, but I know that others were here during the week at different times. Yeah. Um I mean, it was even. I mean, it was quite a surprise to me to 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 learn how fast their use of Kiyoke is developing. And there was basically none five years ago or maybe one or two. And today they have 30. Yeah. 30 tanks.
1: Yeah. It's 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 incredible the expansion that they've done. And as far as using these large kioke for fermentation tanks in a very real way to the mm-hmm. point where it is basically comprised a, not only a significant amount, but probably a majority amount at this yeah. point of their of their production is they're arguably they're probably the only brewery so in that sense um they are far and away um very much influential in that um they are setting up setting a new sort of precedent for um how those can be used
0: and I, because it's obviously not only about introducing a new thing in the brewery or introducing a new tool but you have to really rethink completely the way you, you brew sake okay, in terms of environment control temperature and so on and so forth
1: yeah, that's what was funny. He was Joseki um, San. He was saying yesterday. He was talking about how, you know, for him it was such a moving experience to be able to come and work alongside with the people who are making this, and then to be able to bring that back to the brewery and share that with the brewers and the team. And he tried his damnedest to communicate the passion mm-hmm. and the meaning and all behind that. Whereas their their greatest concern was <laughs> would it leak or yeah, not? <laughs> yeah. The kid, did you really do this right? You know, were you we really <laughs> able to pull this off? Um but um yeah it was just it's just a very very, very exciting. Um super exciting. And it was also kind of interesting, sort of a bit of a side conversation is um I'm gonna sort of preface this with um I don't want to share this as the official word of, you know, Aromasa is a brewery or anything like that, but it's interesting to sort of hear um, Koseki-san talk about. So if you look at a lot of bottles of Aromasa, they dictate very clearly how you, they'd like for you to handle their product. How they'd yeah. like to keep it below five degrees Celsius, store it, serve it chilled, keep it chilled, um, which is absolutely true. And that is what I, as well as koseki would, you know, encourage um, consumers to do with their product, um, hands down. But one thing that he did say that he noticed you know, as a toji as well, too, uh, not just as a toji, but also as a consumer um, of their sake, um, is that once they started shifting to kyōke, that there was something in the relationship of the koji, the yeast, um, and in the fermentation, and in that interaction there with the kyōke, with the wood, and some of that, some of those natural extracts or something in there that plays on it that significantly lends itself to the quality retention mm. um, of a bottle of sake.
0: yeah another thing very fascinating things I, I heard yesterday is that if you use a kioke uh, just to mature sake so after it's been uh, after the mash has been pressed and and um, and the sake possibly filtered um, the sake takes on some uh, wooden, Aromas, some aromas of, of, of wood. But if you use the kiyoke okay, for the fermentation itself, something, I mean, a, 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 a very different phenomenon happens. And the uh, the yeast and, and possibly the enzymes of the koji play a role in eliminating the wooden aromas or the aromas of wood in the, in the moromi. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's just this very sort of almost this magical dance Mm. of sort of microorganisms that what you would think to be the case um, you would end up with maybe something I don't know more fragile or something Mm -hmm. that has these you know um, external characteristics that maybe you would think you'd want to suppress Mm -hmm. but when crafted properly and with care that you actually end up with a very unique and very special balance at least that's what seems to be the case and they of course they don't have all of the science to back that up but sort of just based Mm -hmm. on their experience having not used those for a long time having shifted to those um and those being sort of primary um in Mm -hmm. a lot of their production now um they're starting to notice um some of those differences
0: yeah and and not only does it have an impact on the life of the microorganisms that you traditionally find in the process but there are lots of other new microorganisms that that play a role and um when you well i'm going back to soy sauce here but um yamamoto know, also explains that they find or they can find i don't know if it's it's a 100 or 150 different microorganisms uh, alive in their uh, in their kioke key during fermentation period so quite a huge population yeah
1: and our understanding of those and how they interact together is still largely non-existent yeah. at this point you know hasn't we, been studied yeah we can recognize that there's something there, but above and beyond that, we just don't know. Um, And so it's, in and in that's sort of what's interesting about um, reinstating Kyoké into the process is, in a lot of ways, they're starting from scratch, Mm -hmm. Um, in many ways. A lot of people who are um, brewing or working with these are people, even if they are veterans um, or toji that have been doing this for 20, 30 years, this might be their Mm -hmm. first time ever working with something like this. And maybe at the time when they were around before, they didn't have all the science and the understanding, and all the resources mm. to back this up. They didn't do all the data tracking and all these things. And so, in a lot of ways, everybody is, you know, very much feeling feeling this out as they go.
0: Yeah. It brings back a bit of ma- magic into the process as well. Yeah,
1: absolutely, mm. absolutely. absolutely. It makes absolutely. it exciting. It does. And I said, and you can, and you can, and that that excitement is very mm. tangible, is very visceral here. Yeah. Um, taking part. Um, in addition to Adamasa Kimbishi.
0: Mm. I mean, Kenbishi was—I mean—I was, in a way, surprised to see them here. I mean, Kenbishi has the image of a relatively large uh, sake brewers, and of course, I mean, and I never heard that they would use uh, kioke okay for for fermentation. But they—they—they were—they are here for for a different reason. Um, as as a company, as as a large company. Uh, with an incredible history because they were founded in 1505, they, they still use a lot of wooden tools in the process. And they even have a dedicated workshop uh, maintaining and, and producing these tools. And that was the, the, the reason for, for them being here.
1: Yeah, they... Aha! Uh-huh. You come at a very opportune time, sir. Yeah, we were just starting to talk about Kimbishi. <laughs> we'll put that on hold for a second you can tell us about kim bishi oh, I got a mic here kick your yeah kick kick your shoe kick your shoes off put your bag down get comfortable hello maybe everybody can hear me now yeah welcome <laughs> so who are you who am i who's who's
2: here uh my name is jamie graves i'm visiting from uh, new york and happy to be here in japan yeah, Jamie, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've done this okay. once before.
1: Yeah, we did we did a we did an interview. I have to go back and check episode numbers here. It was it was quite a while back. It was kind of when we were very much just getting started. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So if you want to do a quick little internet search, um, for Jamie's name together with sake on air, you will probably come up with roughly a fifty-minute plus or minus yeah. interview, mm-hmm. um, with him talking about what he's up to in New York. You want to just real quick the thirty-second spiel of where you're at, who you. Where, where you why you're here where do you come from
2: <laughs> well where do I come from um yeah so <laughs> i'm I'm based in New York um, uh, lived in Japan for a bit but uh, I've got a, a very um fun uh job I love doing now where I, I work for a company called skernik wines um, I do all the japan stuff uh, for them so sake shochu um, hopefully a little bit of maybe soy sauce and things like that we're not sure but um, don't I don't do mind. all and wine, yes, we're we're looking at wines, um, but a lot of um, just uh, yes, yeah, sort of doing all the Japan stuff, for them, um, we import, uh, I sell in New York, I kind of do a little bit of everything, and, uh, I'm here right now just to kind of explore some new things, you know, meet uh, people that we, uh, already work with, um, including Kenbishi. Who I understand yeah. you're just about to talk about. Yeah, it. we're yeah.
1: just we're just sort of starting to touch on some of the brewers that were that were here that were um that were in sort of their presence and why they were here and sort of their involvement. We're just sort of and we had just gotten to Kenbishi. Wow! And mentioned that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> impeccable, impeccable. I know. Timing. I was I
2: was just there last week, so uh, right. What did yeah. you see? Yeah. What I mean, it. Wow. Uh, so it's um, what did I see? Kenbishi was fascinating. I've I've visited a lot of sake breweries. I've kind of lost track, uh lost track. lost track. Uh, at this point, probably well over 30 or so um if not more and so i've seen you know the full range um of of sizes and and all you know so many different styles and everything and i've never seen anything like kenbishi um i mean they're just completely completely different from any other producer i've seen um they're for one thing they're huge they're i, I believe the 15th largest producer in japan um I, I believe that yeah i could be wrong but i know they're they're big they're up there and their facilities you you walk into it it's, it's possibly the biggest one i've ever been to maybe Hakai-san. yeah i don't know yeah, Hakai-san yeah, yeah, might yeah. be smaller but um yeah. but i mean you don't normally when you're talking about an artisanal product want to talk about how big the place is that's usually not you know very good selling point to talk yeah. about how how big they are and how much they make but these guys do that and but it's not like they've really automated much it's like they just throw an army of people at the things like I mean, it's all handmade koji. It's the biggest koji rooms I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um. And I visited one of their four facilities, okay. and it was I mean to think about four times or th- yeah, four times the size of this thing yeah. was just was just wild. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we're just sort of talking about as well. So the gentleman who is here visiting from Kimbishi. Um, he remembered you as well.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he, I, it's really funny. I was walking around with the, the SHOT Show and... Um, the, the, did, president the, the president. The president, yeah, did not uh, meet him, but he. I, I think I, I stuck out like
1: a sore thumb. And he's like, oh, yeah, I saw you walking around. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so the gentleman is here is the guy who's in charge of essentially their woodworking unit, I guess you could say, for lack yeah. of a better word.
2: Yeah. So, just to kind of explain another thing that makes them so interesting, their, their materials are, despite their scale, usually when people get big, you know, it's a lot of uh, stainless steel, it's a lot of things that are much easier to clean and scale up, and they're just using tons of wooden equipment. I mean, wooden koji rooms, um, the dakidaru, which are the um, sort of the temperature adjustment uh, barrels that you kind of stick in the mash when the it's mash. fermenting yeah. so you can you can put in hot water in these things and then you dunk the barrel it's like a seal, sealed barrel in the mash and it can sort of um adjust temperature and actually the president said uh it's not just a cool old school thing but he, he thinks it's a lot better than using because th- there's stainless mm-hmm. steel versions of these things yeah. and he says the which, are, ones... which are standard that that's standard. what everybody yeah. uses basically yeah. everybody uses those i've seen some other places with wooden yeah. uh, ones, but um, usually they're maybe just for show or something. Kenbishi says they actually prefer the wooden ones because the, the temperature releases a lot slower. With stainless steel, it just the, the heat immediately goes into the mash. Yeah. 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 Whereas it's logical, thick wood, it sort of yeah. slowly releases and it's much more gentle. Yeah. Um, so they use those. They're steamers. Even though they're these big, huge, koshiki steamers, mm. the top of it is all wood, yeah. which I've only seen in probably... Kidoizumi, like yeah. the place you worked at. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah I think that's yeah. the only one or two other places, but yeah, there's a few yeah. out there, but not a whole yeah. lot. Mm. Yeah. And then, so a couple years ago, they started this project uh, that the gentleman who's um, that we met yesterday is basically in charge of to basically because there's not many people to make this wooden equipment anymore. They've got an in house unit, basically, a little. Uh, Building sort of close to actually not so little, but building next to the main facility where it's just a wooden workshop. And they yeah. make the steamers, they make the um, the dakidaru, those mm-hmm. those sort of temperature adjustment barrels. They make all their um, uh, bamboo poles, uh, mm-hmm. to yeah, the, the kaibo, yeah, the, the kaibo the, to be able to agitate to the, mash the mash and then so yeah. to stir the mash, things like that. Um, and all sorts of things that apparently they do it for their own use, but they've started to sell it to other uh, breweries yeah. as well to kind of keep this going. And that was interesting. I had a, I had a funny conversation with him last night at the um at the dinner we had where I was saying like I, I was it's it's wild how in Japan you've got somebody coming from one of the biggest companies I know of in Japan directly going to one of the smallest companies and asking for advice on how to do woodworking yeah. and it's like completely fine for the small like the small guys at least Yamamoto san yeah. you know Yamamoto san didn't you. Obviously didn't feel threatened or anything at all. It was more just like, "Wow, thanks they're for all, having you." Yeah, they're, Every, all the they're all in the same
1: boat. Everyone in the same boat. They're all yeah. in the same trajectory. Here. Yeah, everybody
2: and, was excited. The big guy was there, and then all the tiny guys, and there was no kind of like yeah. feeling of, of rank or anybody's above one another. Um. So yeah, that's kind of my I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully my little yeah no perfect <laughs> addition to this. Perfect, perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah, because yeah, and it really made a lot of news here about about two years ago when Kimbishi announced that they were going to set up this really significant. They made a huge investment in this yeah. facility to. Preserve the craftsmanship associated with wooden tools and the resources yeah. that are used in, in sake production, and so now you're starting to have other producers go to them for to produce items not for them specifically for their yeah. breweries and stuff as well too. And so while they're not doing kyoke right this minute, um, and while the gentleman yesterday insisted that that's not in their immediate plans, I mean you know who knows what will I don't happen, think they but, could ever
2: yeah th- just the way they work. They're so big, and yeah. it's it's like they don't do really. When I was there, actually, we tasted one or two small limited things they do, but it's like not even to make themselves look cool. It was literally like a charity project. It yeah. was for like special needs children who mm-hmm. plant a rice field themselves. And then the rice goes into making the sake and all the profits go to like education back for the children who grew the rice to their yeah. school. And out of that, it was all like five items that are all in massive production. Um, so I, I don't think they'll ever do anything small and boutique and kioke Zucuri type thing. And they're just not. Yeah, I couldn't imagine them building enough to at the scale yeah. that they do stuff to do absolutely. that quite now. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But they do have a lot, a lot more resources, for example, than you know, say like yeah. Yamato Kusan or you know, yamarota Santo. So who knows? We'll, yeah, we'll yeah. see what happens. It's a uh, but it's it's really exciting. Like you were saying, one of the really neat things about so we're talking about just sort of the nature of the the breadth of individuals from different facets of the related and peripheral industries that are here, and that's what you are saying is so neat that there's and which is also somewhat less common in Japan is too, is it's, it's a very, the environment feels very flat and the relationships so you've got people from all different mm. levels that are all just sort of congregated around the same cause, the mm-hmm. same purpose. And everybody is just so highly motivated by this, that it's yeah. just, everybody is just sort of arm in arm, you yeah. know, working together. It's just really, really, it's really yeah. exciting. So to be able to see producers of massive scale together with, you know, soy sauce makers that yeah it's it's one dude who's been doing yeah. it by himself for you know 50 years and yeah, yeah, they're yeah. just and they're just sharing information that's and, wild and doing that so it's yeah you talk it's, about the I Worcestershire know. sauce guy yet no not yet oh man <laughs> that was my absolute favorite yeah. yeah 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 no fill us in fill us in
2: uh, me I don't know do you yeah, guys go, wanna... for it. go for it go um, for so it. I mean yeah so you guys I, I don't know I literally just jumped in the middle here yeah, so I'm no, not perfect. sure what you've covered so no, far but it. you know there was many um short uh Kind of not really speeches, but sort of very brief interviews. A lot of the um, the makers attending, and uh, you know, it was it, mainly soy sauce makers, and then a couple sake people, and there was I think one some miso, one miso person, and a woman who yeah, yeah. Who, who's got a very traditional vinegar company. Yeah. And then I had no idea that there's an artisanal Worcestershire sauce industry in Japan. Yeah. yeah, which you know there's, you know, if you know Japanese food, you you knew they, they, they what they call just sosu. It's like. Yeah. Everywhere with, with sort of, you know, fried things. Like, it's, it's very, very common. But you just – I've only seen, like, a couple of the really big brands. I had no idea that yeah. there was a artisanal industry out there yeah. – let alone one that is aging in traditional barrels. At least one guy is. Um, is, He's probably the only guy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what was just so funny about it is he spoke about the Worcestershire sauce industry the same way that the soy sauce people talked about the soy sauce industry in in terms of like their traditions and sort of like this is what we do and this is how we're slightly different. But other Worcestershire sauce makers and I've been talking to them and it was – to me it was just so – I mean – Funny, it, it was so, just so, so like Japan. so Japan. I so was, Japan, I was like, Oh my god, there's an artisanal Worcestershire sauce industry, yeah. and they all like have you know they all meet and they yeah. <laughs> all get together. Yeah. Good, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it, it's,
1: it's really cool. It was really, really cool. Um, going down as far as sake breweries, there was those two, and then there was um, uh, Yamana Shuzo, which uh, makes Okutamba, which is a small, small um, producer, um, sort of up in northern Kyoto. And I actually haven't visited myself, I've heard of them, but didn't know a whole lot about them. Is but it was Kyoto really nice or talking. Kyogo. Uh, Hyogo, Hyogo, sorry, yeah, Hyogo, yeah, sorry yeah, you're yeah. right, yeah, sorry, Hyogo yeah. Um, and Okutamba, and what well, he said, he was, I believe, 12th generation Um, they've been around for mm. a little over 300 years 305 years, I think he said Um, and there, they've got a couple of kyokes, they've got two that they're working with, and they're shifting toward doing more kimoto production, more less polished rice, more you know, matured mm. more, you know, things of that nature Um, and there's gradually emphasizing that more and more and they have been over the last few years. And so their, their products are ones we do, you don't see floating around Tokyo all too much. And so it was, yeah, it was interesting to talk to mm-hmm. him. And so he was, yeah, it's, it was, it's, it's nice. You've got people who are doing stuff on a very small scale um, as well as people who are highly, who have made very significant investments into this For places like, you know, Kenbishi or Otomas or mm-hmm. these other places that have been here. So um, yeah, it's nice to hear sort of everybody's, um, Current positioning and sort of their their forethought with regards mm-hmm. to,
0: and people from overseas as well. Yeah, i mean
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. So for those, so Baladin craft beer, they're they basically put Italian craft beer on the map. Um,
0: yeah, so in the mid '80s, I think. Yeah, I believe I'd have to I'd have to yes, check it, so. but
1: it's that sounds that sounds about right. Um and. Um, the president um was here as well too because from a number of years back they have been working on a kyoke beer project oh wow um, together with them okay. um, back in 2015 they had the um the expo um the world expo in italy where it was the theme was food mm-hmm. and um coinciding with that um long story short we can talk to you know, you know we'll to later but there was an opportunity to have him bring and display his kyoke as part of sort of the ex- exhibit and the exhibition there, um while during the during the um, during the expo, and through one thing or another, they end up getting connected with Baladin. and they were saying we would love to make a beer um, using this, and the beer that they're making, um, they only have one kyoke. Um, and now it stands if you go and you tour their place at the end of their, you know, 90 minute or two hour tour. The last thing you come up to is this giant kioke waiting, resting with beer inside. They leave it to mature. It's in their, their maturation on a, something like three to four years. Four years, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and it's something that is entirely different from anything else that's out there. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a different paradigm in the world of beer. It's so it's, um, it's not carbonated in the way that you know, you're used to it's somewhere between sipping show you and a stout or something, you know yeah. Um, you know, it's 14% alcohol. It's, it's something It's really, really, it's something entirely different, but um, they're just incredibly invested and created something really new and really special. Mm. And they've sort of had this collaboration and they've only released it once. Um, and they said their next release is going to be this summer. He said, may or June, something like that. Cause they only have one Kyoke and they leave it, you know, it sits for, um, mm. Such a period of time. They had one release, and then this is going to be just their second release wow. here. Um, and so, yeah. The, while a lot of the people gathering are, you know, traditional industries here, you have beer. Um, we also had uh, mitosaya, which essentially yeah. they make. I guess we call it a, a Japanese brandy. vie, uh, I think is how they. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, and another very small operation. Yeah, very small operation. They only have one. Yep.
0: And uh, how, how many are there? I mean, two, maybe two people working full-time
1: yeah so, pretty much yeah. pretty much yeah probably um and they're based out in chiba and they really just started releasing um consistent product just last year they had been sort of doing small test batches and it took them a while Um, and then even after they opened they didn't even he was saying they didn't even put it to use for for some time because they just they're, one is they're very small and then they had this massive massive barrel that they're like what are we going to put in here we don't you know we don't have Enough resources and or anything set up to be able to make you know any anything. They're like aging sort of scale of product. Spirits in there? Or? No, actually, yeah, they're they, fermenting. They're fermenting, fermenting yeah. it. Yeah, and I mean because it, yeah. although
0: it's a distilled spirit, mm. you, you need to go through a fermentation phase yeah, first. Yeah, makes sense. And so um, there, you they've started to use it to 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 make their mash. Wow. Um, they started with nashi, mm. for this uh, apple pear fruit, mm-hmm. and actually at the moment they're fermenting apples um in the in the in the okay. so kind
1: of like an apple brandy apple ovy or yeah. something yeah. Right? yeah well so what they do is a lot of different some they have like so they've done like stuff with like Sancho peppers they've done stuff with like mekon mm-hmm. you know oranges and different things and so basically they go to different regions and find um producers that they like that have a great product and create you know fruit mm-hmm. and herb based you know mm-hmm. distillates from these different
0: and it, and it's quite new I mean it's quite new I mean it's in a way, Japan only, because there is a there is a culture in other countries to use um, not I mean to use other materials for fermentation mm-hmm. tanks. I mean in Asia in particular, and the research person mentioned the use of of ceramics in in, yeah. in Korea and in other places. But uh, wood is is really sort of a I mean sort of specific to Japan, isn't
2: mm-hmm. it? Yeah, I was interested to hear that yesterday. I I didn't. She just sort of said this is the difference between a lot of, like, Asian – was it, like, soy sauce makers in Korea she was talking yeah,
1: about? And, and, and yeah, and, yeah, and si- or soy sauce or similar types similar, of soy sauce-like. things to yeah, soy sauce, yep, yeah. Exactly. And, that, and
2: that Japan was unique in that they used the wooden kiyoke for fermentation and whatnot. Yeah. But I – she didn't really say – how that came
1: about, or, or if we even know why or yeah, anything. Yeah, it didn't it. But it was sort of interesting that, that that's the direction that Japan went. Whereas traditionally, if you go way, way back, I mean, Japan was the same. So if you look at, yeah. you know, before it was kioke, it was, it was ceramic. It was these, you know, and sometimes you still, I, I don't know of anywhere that actually has it in use. I've met a couple of folks that are pondering that yeah. um, and, and exploring that. But when you think about it, actually, when you do go look and you look at China, you look at Korea, mm. and you look at a lot of their ferments, traditional ferments, you see these, you know, rows of ceramic jars and things Mm -hmm. um which is which is still commonplace for a lot of those products whereas you only see that for a handful of things in japan whereas pretty much everywhere shifted to Mm -hmm. wood primarily um around like the edo um well actually i I think i answered my own question because
2: i was thinking about this yesterday because because she was saying like the big difference is size Mm. and with edo with like you know the country's at peace and the economy's developing and suddenly people are making things on not an industrial scale, but on like a bigger commercial scale. Whereas before it had been more like small home fermentations and, you know, there's only so big you can make a ceramic. There's only so big you can make a kiln. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I guess for it must be, it must've been a scale thing initially yeah, to make bigger absolutely. tanks to ferment in. Yeah. yeah. So
1: actually I visited a place in Shimane not too long ago that does a lot of ceramics and pottery and things like that. And they had one of the largest, um, large Kame. ceramic Kame that yeah. I have ever seen. And, but it, they were like, you know, we can't move this anywhere. We can't take this and we can't do, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, and it's super old. It's super fragile, but just the logistics, anything beyond that size, like nobody can make anything of this size mm. anymore. It's just gone. There are yeah. no kilns this size that we, you know, that you could, yeah. Um, you could make something like this with. And so it's just a, the logistics of having to mm. make it, build it, and then transport it and move it. Yeah. And the weight and everything, whereas wood is highly reusable. You can take it, you can break it apart, you can put it back together. So yeah. we were talking early about how these things get, transported from hmm. sake to soy sauce, to vinegar, to, Oh yeah. You the, know, the reuse to miso thing, yeah. and sort of, you know, over the, the lifespan of anywhere from, you know, 80 to a hundred to 200 plus years of these things. It's not just a matter, you know, especially, you know, Edo period before they got big trucks and forklifts and all these things, you know, they'll take these things apart and they'll put them back together. And so that was sort of part of the clever utility of them mm-hmm. as well, too. Yeah. So that sort of, yeah, I think that being able to harness that skill, allowed them to transport not just the wood but also whatever product um, yeah. they were going to put in it as well too which made production much mm. more um, efficient so yeah. yeah Sebastian did you want to talk about Morikuni real quick before we head out sure. just because we did go to talk about yeah as they are the one and only sake brewery here on the island
0: yeah. one of the surprises coming here is that uh, well I knew that there, there were many uh, soy sauce makers in in choroshima Uh, but I found absolutely no soybean, as we discussed actually all the soybean is coming Mm. uh, from uh, well traditionally Fukuoka and 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 other origins right now Um, there is rice but there were no sake breweries Mm -hmm. or I mean I'm not sure how many they have they they, they were in a distant past but the last one had closed about 40 years ago Mm -hmm. until a a brewery located in Takamatsu just just across the sea in in Shikoku called the Ikeda Shuzo decided to move their operations from Takamatsu from the center of town basically to Shodoshima and become the first um, sake brewery or the only sake brewery active in Shodoshima Mm -hmm. and It's a very small operation and it was fascinating to to hear about some of the challenges that they've been facing, which are actually similar to some of the uh, of what some of the overseas uh, sake breweries are facing is there is no. Sake rice on or there was no sake rice on Shodoshima. there oh. is no mm-hmm. rice polishing mm-hmm. plants so yeah. they've got to import mm-hmm. uh, most of the stuff mm-hmm. from uh, other uh, places in Japan and so uh, in a, an industry which is um, I mean in highly competitive and and where prices are, are dragged down by the by the, the decrease in in consumption uh, it's it adds uh, additional costs mm-hmm. to uh, to the to the to the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, this small uh, operation is is surviving uh, through a, a, a through their through their the ability to tell their story and attract new consumers mm-hmm. to to what they're doing and and the quality of their product and and. I mean, Ik- Ikeda-san, um, a, a lady who must be in her sixties now, and I'm not. I hope I'm not being rude. Um, <laughs> was um, was adamant that the the future of of uh, Shodoshima Shuzo is the, their ability to uh, to develop roots in the island. Mm-hmm. And so she, they have started a, a, a rice project recently uh, to connect the, the brewery with the local. Uh, rice uh, industry or rice rice f- rice farming uh, activities, and there, there are no source, sourcing part of their rice uh, from from the island, but of course because there is no rice polishing technology here, uh, they're producing a sake which is called 88, like mm-hmm. 88% semaiyai. Oh, okay, great, um, but, a, but a but a great story. Mm. Mm-hmm. And she, she was surprised that her sake found. She, she was in France this year. I mean, last year and the year before at the sake at the Salon du Sake, and she was really happy about how well her, her products were received. And she was really modest about um, about their operations. I mean, they've been in existence here for only fifteen years. How do you compare with the likes of Kenbishi, mm-hmm. uh, like? 500 years of, yeah. of history or, or, or many other breweries but at the end of the day their story is as as mm. fascinating as those yeah. ones, isn't it definitely yeah,
1: and it's, and it's pretty precious to be able to have that single brewery here on the island it's a beautiful island and you have as we we're saying it's known as the island of soy sauce and olives this is the hub for the production of both of those for the entire nation of Japan and to have a local sake is that's nice that's, yeah. that's a good thing and so to be able to have that presence here and it's nice to see when just sort of driving around and seeing visiting different hotels or different shops and stuff it has a presence it's served at the local restaurants yes. it's mm. it's very much permeated um local business here on the yeah. island and so it's yeah it's, it's it's really nice to see
2: nice
1: um yeah we should get going just real quick which we can splice in somewhere i just want to share just a couple of the numbers yesterday so we we're talking about you know now because of sort of that rotation of how these kyokai are used and sort of how they're funneled down through the um, through the various fermentation you know, industries, um, I guess you could say, um, because a lot of the ones in sake productions, they're almost non-existent. We touched upon the sort of the unique nature of atamasa, but in most cases, if, they, if, if a brewery has two of these, they're, it's pretty exceptional. Um, nowadays, you're trying to see a lot of places try and reinstitute one, if they can, in some capacity to see if they can, to see what they can do with it. I mean, that's the extent. And so there isn't actually a, any real data out there. But what they're trying to do is sort of gather data. as to sort of the nature of how many of these are actually still out there and what capacity are they still being used. Um, and because of sort of over time, how, they're, how they've how they been used, they sort of disappeared more or less from the sake industry. Anything that's out there has been reinstated, re-instated very recently um and then they tend to go from soy sauce and then to miso if there's no vinegar in between there um but once they get to miso they start getting so old that a lot of them just they just can't be used anymore they start having problems or they're unable to maintain them or maintenance them and so a lot of them kind of stop at the timing wise they sort of stop at the soy sauce stage so you got a lot of places that are still around there were a lot of their kyoke are you know anywhere from 80 to 180 years old or somewhere mm-hmm. kind of in that range Um, And so what they're trying to do is go around and collect the data. So they want to know not just what's being used because a lot of the ones that are out there are going to be going out of commission very, very soon. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just a matter of building new ones. It's also a matter of repairing and maintaining the ones that are already out there. Um, And so as of right now, um, based on 27 data from 27 different prefectures, the ones that are actually available, that are actually present from what they can gather at soy sauce producers, um, there are – they say 3,533 barrels. However, the ones that are amongst that, the ones that are actually being used for production is 2,709. Um, and those are going to constitute a majority of the ones that are actually still in the country because outside of the soy sauce industry, they're very, very few and far between. Yeah. You've got a few miso producers. But aside from that, it's a pretty small number. Mm. Um, but then what's interesting is when, when you look at that, so who has got these things, who's sitting on them, A little over a thousand, 1,100 of those are split amongst six producers here in Kagawa. So basically on the island of Shotoshima. So about half the ones, nearly half the ones that are actually being used in production, are here on this tiny little island. Um, And then after that, you've got a chunk, about 350 in both Fukuoka um, as well as Ibaraki. Um, Shimane has a bunch, just a, a little less than 300, as well as Mie. Saitama has a bit um niigata surprisingly has a little bit chiba as well chiba is a pretty big soy sauce producing region but you've got a lot of bigger producers out there and then after that it pretty much drops off and it's just a handful here and there kind of a thing Mm -hmm. um but that's that's sort of where soy sauce stands um but again remember a lot of those are going to be going out of commission and so every it's it's kind of a ticking time bomb in a way and sort of how fast can this project that they're working on here um how fast can they get People up to speed with the know-how and the resources to be able to, if not build them from scratch, at least maintain and prolong the lives of the stuff that's already out there long enough, um, so they can sort of keep the stuff active and sort of buy time while they try to further permeate the skill sets um, throughout the uh, the industry. And so, but as a business, there's need for it, um, and they're costly. Um, but it's it's that's another prohibitive factor as well too um yeah. so
0: after spending two days here do you think the cutter is dying
1: oh oh um i mean i would i much, would have said no i so. mean i saw so no. much energy no. so much no. so much, no. so much yeah. Yeah. excitement it was, yeah it was
2: absolutely steamroll i mean who's that yeah. guy yesterday who was like the kiyoke Rabu guy who's just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. love <laughs> like yeah like everybody's yeah. <laughs> like yeah practically got the crowd yeah. on its feet everyone's like kiyoke yeah. love <laughs> yeah
1: yeah they're on it no <laughs> it's and especially compared to – if you would have asked me this five, six years ago, I probably would have said, yeah, it's just a matter of time. Whereas yeah. now, no. I, I'm, I'm trying to stop and I step out of this amazing environment that I'm in trying to and think, you know, uh, broader, logically. Yeah, are right. we we're, we're, we're carried yeah. by, the, uh,
2: yeah, by still, the energy here. Yeah. Did you, uh, I mean, did you mention that, like, I was really happy to see there was two producers yesterday – I don't think either of which used Kiyoke, but they'd come with their kids. Yeah. So the next generation of their producers were there um, who were literally set to take over. And they were like, no, we just want to see all this interesting stuff that's going on. And the the kids, I mean, one of whom I say kid was like 28 years old. The the next generation, they were like super excited. And, you know, obviously every generation in Japan of a company always wants to, you know, they they want to obviously preserve the tradition, but you always want to do a little something that's your own thing. And, just seeing that, I mean, obviously it was just two producers, which is not going to change the industry, but it was fascinating to me. Two producers who said they don't use it, yeah. don't necessarily have plans to use it, but brought their kids because they want to see that, and the kids are really psyched. Yeah. And I think that's like, at least it's moving in the right yeah. direction. Yeah. yeah, you know that was very. I, I, so I would say, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's it's. I don't think it's going away. And
0: yeah, I need, yeah. I need to find the little hands to uh, to build them. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: <laughs> I said and that was really, and like, a couple of the so a couple of really, really young people here that have basically committed themselves to figuring out how to do this. Mm, yeah. um, and the number of those people have been increasing. It's not a massive number, um, but they are very proactive individuals that are also in a position individually as well as within their individual yeah. you know corporations that are invested in figuring mm-hmm. out a way to make this work. Yeah. So yeah, it's super exciting, super exciting. But um, anyway, we should get back to yeah. the festivities um and yeah we'll see if we can round up a couple of short interviews here and someday figure out a way to um translate those and get those out here they'll be out, they'll be incorporated into this somehow but for now let's get back to the uh yeah. to the and, shenanigans and
0: we'll probably put some information um at the time we release the episode about Yamaroku you and yeah, absolutely and just uh, yeah. I mean some leaks and and yep. information that you can refer to if you're yep. interested
1: absolutely absolutely and if you do you do some searching you'll you'll be able to find I said, you look for Yamadoku, you look for soy sauce, you look for Shotoshima. Um, you're probably going to find, a, a pr- at this point, it's this actually a pretty significant um, amount of information about what, what's been going on out here. There's been some significant um, TV programs. What's that? Uh, what was that Netflix show? Um, oh, a- uh, acid, fire, water. No, no, what no. Was no the, the uh, acid what was that? Salt, heat, or something? Yes, 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 yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I'm, I'm a little out of the. I, there, I, yeah. I haven't
2: seen it, but I know. She, I know all the, the whole salt thing was all Japan.
1: Did yeah. She, did she come here was, for that? She came here for that. Okay, yeah. yeah. Nancy came here for that, and they, and they they were introduced on there. There was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal. I No, believe. there was. Yeah. Um, so the information is getting out there, and so little by little, so we yeah. will we will see. I said, especially yeah, this year, given the given the number of people that are here yeah. and um, people sort of personal investment right. in this as well too, I think there will be a lot more information um, floating up there here very soon we'll we'll do what we can to share along the way so with that um moving Kiyoke on <laughs> <rubber. Kiyoke laughs> bring it bring it <laughs> right exactly <laughs> all right gentlemen sebastian jamie thank you very much thank you thank you, Justin. um we'll yeah. keep this going here and we'll be back with more kyouke and more sake on air very, very soon